Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Marketing Masters Mix podcast, where each episode we share actionable strategies for amping up your real estate marketing game. And now, here's your host, Dave Cole. And it is our pleasure today to be speaking with Randall Craig, a serial entrepreneur, senior executive. He's authored something like eight books a coach, a Hall of Fame speaker, and for our purposes for real estate, uh, it's that he has done some advising of major financial institutions, professional service firms, and associations. So uh, the idea today is for our agents and brokers and investors out there to pick up on some strategies to be able to help in their own work and uh, how to kind of speak or negotiate or work with uh, the clients and the colleagues that uh, you're having to deal with. First of all, Randall, we certainly want to uh, welcome you into our podcast. And uh, I know you're so much more well-versified and do a lot more than just real estate. So I'm sure this will be an interesting topic for you as well. Oh, without a question, Dave, thanks so much for having me. And for, for everyone watching right now, I, I, I really hope you're able to pick out that one little you know, pearl of wisdom that's going to make a difference to marketing your uh, and growing your real estate business. Okay, thank you. You know, the first thing that I'd like to ask about, which calls upon your experience, is for agents, brokers, and even investor groups, is when talking with a potential client or even presenting a property, we're dealing with a possible transaction of hundreds of thousands of dollars or maybe even more. So one of the things that uh, we talk about on the podcast is for an agent or broker, the people in our audience, what, what are things they can do to distinguish themselves? And that's not necessarily in terms of their marketing and strategies and all that, but in terms of speaking with a potential client. So an investor or someone looking to buy or sell a property, they've probably spoken or may have with other agents, with other people. So what's that thing where I'd go, oh yeah, Randall, boy, that's a really good point. That's kind of what I'm looking at. What can people be aware of? How might they bring their personality into it? You know, what can they do to distinguish? Listen, I I think that most of your viewers, listeners know that there is not a a magic solution. You put some fairy dust on it and magically, you know, you will win all that business. I, I think it's a better way to look at it by saying there's three different ways that you could differentiate yourself. And in fact, every business competes on these three dimensions, price, expertise, and trust. So the question is on each of these dimensions what are you doing to differentiate yourself there's some agents for example that say well we will give you a big discount on our fees we will do x percent instead of y percent we will rebate money i mean it's different in different jurisdictions but they compete on the basis of price and the challenge with that strategy is that there's always somebody else who will go a few nickels cheaper and and that's difficult The, the second sort of angle is expertise and and expertise is interesting because uh, that's something that's developed over many, many years. You know, um, uh, how much do you know about that particular um, corner of the real estate market? If you've always done commercial, all of a sudden you're doing residential, 
you might not have that expertise compared to somebody who's focused on a particular thing. Same thing with respect to um, selling income properties as opposed to selling um, non-income. Like there's so many different, so the question becomes, how do you demonstrate that expertise? And, you know, there's things like blogs and newsletters and well, and podcasts like this, for example. Um, Dave, you're doing a good job of demonstrating your expertise in this podcast. But if you think about all these little ideas, uh, okay, um, about how you demonstrate your expertise, well, that's number number two. And the third is trust. And that's the question about when somebody asks you a question, are you going to answer in their interests or yours? When somebody says, well, you know, can you help me sell my film of whatever or be a buyer's agent for whatever? And you're not the best person. Um, what would happen if you said, you know, I'm not the best person, but I do know somebody who, who can help you. They're an expert in that area, right? The trust that they will have with you goes up. And in fact, if we think about trust, it's very simple. Every single touch point that you have with a prospect, with your client, with buyers, with sellers, with uh, with referral sources, trust either goes up or trust goes down. And it's up to you at that particular touch point to decide where what you want to do. Because sometimes you want to use trust to accomplish things. But you know what? When you use too much of it, there's none left. So price expertise, trust. What would you rather be known as? Cheap, smart, or trusted? And and that's kind of a, I'm sorry, the rambling answer, Dave, to your question, but it's actually true. Um, work on these three and, and, and you'll win. Oh, I'm very worried myself. That was a, you know, a half hour long question for the answer. So, yeah, uh, but no, that's great. We have time. That's what we do on this. And so, yeah, that that's a great point that it's not always about the price. And especially, I think, with real estate, that it is about the expertise, that you may not be looking for who's the agent that can, you know, get me the quickest deal. You want the one that knows four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar houses in the Westridge neighborhood that have swimming pools or as specific as you want to get. And that's what you're looking for. It's the expertise. It's the, you know, you can call the attorney whose ad you see on TV, or you could call somebody that's had similar cases or work with people you know. And I think that's the difference. And that's what you were, you know, bringing out in your initial comment. But let me let me let me push back on something because I, sure. I think too often and perhaps maybe more so in the real estate field than others is that people say, yes, I've got expertise, but really what they have access is exclusive access to an MLS system. OK, and just because they could pull out from the database a bunch of things, well, other people can do that, too. So I would push back and say you need to find ways truly to demonstrate your expertise. In fact, for some of uh, the viewers, listeners, it's not just expertise, but it's thought leadership. But truly, hiring somebody who puts a newsletter out on real estate and then popping your logo and name on the top of it, is that demonstrating expertise? Um, how often, for example, how many people do you mentor? Do people look to you, for example, others in the industry for advice? How often are you speaking at industry events? Have you written a book or multiple books? Do you have your own podcast? You know, do you have your own blog that is actually thoughtful information that demonstrates that expertise over and over and over and over again? These things take time. 
And sadly, they also take cost, uh, cost. So, so, you know, it's too easy for people to say, aha, I can press the button. I, I know what's going on in the market. But listen, you said it your first, uh, yourself, David, at the beginning of our conversation. What is it that differentiates you? And pressing a button on a database is, is not something that I think is, is uh, sustainable. Oh, exactly. And that's something that I've talked about when I've done uh, presentations to on the marketing side for agents or even groups of agents is the newsletter is that that's an example that I use that it's an overlooked opportunity to distinguish and that the marketing part of it is not something you just, you know, automate or slap together that I've pointed out and I've even put up examples that I know when, you know, XYZ real estate's newsletter comes out because I'll get four or five different agents that send me the same newsletter. Some will have some comments at the top, others will not. And so if that, that to me just puts them in that, you know, I'd go with somebody at that office, they're all the same yeah. mentality. And that is something that's important to explain to agents as well as the content of a newsletter, which so, is a little off the topic, but you know, as a homeowner, you, you don't always need a, a recipe for apple strudel, you know, give me something that's going on in the school district or something in the community that even if it doesn't make me run to the phone and want to sell my home or buy there, it's just some method of, you know, association. And that's, that's what I'm looking to bring out is to be able to show agents the ways to distinguish themselves. So, so, so let's talk about 1970s market and marketing compared to maybe some today marketing. Okay. And we could do this sort of, is it this or is it that? Okay. Um, I'm going to play it with you. Okay. You'll be the typical uh, audience member, Dave. Newsletter marketing, 1970s or uh, 2020s? Which one is it? It's a trick question. Okay. Um, Well, I would say uh, 2020 because... No, no. 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 Okay, well, we'll come down to that. Okay. All right. Um, what did I do wrong? Uh, question, question number two. Okay. Improving the conversion rate, whether it be on advertising or some sort of seminar or whatever, from 5% to 6% is the absolute best that you could do. Maybe you can even get to 7%, but that's where the focus should be, changing that conversion rate from 5 to 6%. Okay. Um you know, you have to do analytics on, on, on your marketing spend. Is that a 1970s thinking or is that 2020s thinking? Hmm. You know, this uh, is your question too. Okay. Yeah. So give us your well, answer. <laughs> my oh, answer would be yes. Uh, obviously today we have different and much more thorough analytics. Ah, than we should we, but is is focus from 5% to 6% where we should be going? Um, it's realistic. Not everybody thinks that way. So at least the idea of more conversions, because going from 5% to 20% is not always realistic, no matter what you do. So, so of course you're right, but Dave, you're wrong. You're wrong. This is 1970s thinking. Okay. Now I don't mean to imply that you're a 1970s thinker, please. Okay. Okay. I wanted to share these two examples because so often, uh, there's almost an echo chamber where everyone says, well, you should do this, or you should do that. 
Of course, you should have a newsletter. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But let's think about this in a, in, in, in a particular way. Let's take the conversion argument for the beginning. You spend, and let's say, let's call it $1,000 for easy math. You spend $1,000 on marketing and you get a 5% conversion. Okay, of course, you're going to spend more than $1,000, but just easy math. And you think, okay, that's pretty good. If I move the conversion from 5% to 6%, that's a 20% increase. And that 20% increase goes where? Directly to the bottom line. More leads coming in, more people signing uh, uh, signing agreements, all that. So, so of course you want, you've got to do that. But here's the question that too often people forget about. What about the other 95%? You spent the $1,000 on the 100%. You're getting conversion from the 5%, but the other 95% do we forget about it? And and 2020s, today's marketing uh, best practice is to say, we need to find a way to also work on the 95%. I could tell you what that means really quickly, which is um, using marketing automation. If, for example, somebody says no when you're going to do the pitch or no when, they, they're, they're, uh, um, when they're given some sort of conversion offer, they may not be saying no. They may be saying not yet. And if they're saying not yet, okay, what if you found a way to continue to touch them in a way that acknowledges that first interaction? So not saying, okay, well, you're now going to get my newsletter every single month or week or whatever you're going to do, you're going to get the newsletter because that doesn't acknowledge that first interaction. That didn't doesn't acknowledge the no, or rather the not yet. But what if, for example, you know, um, two months after the no comes about, uh, they get a note from you. And then two months later, then two months later, then two months later, each one building on it. You're not asking for the for, for the listing. You're not asking for what they're looking for. But what are you doing? You're finding a way to build um, trust and demonstrate expertise. So when the no, when the not yet becomes, I think I'm ready, you're top of mind. And 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 so if you've got a marketing program to move the five to six percent, you're good. Okay. But if you've got one that's also working on the other 95%, you're golden. And there's the technologies that can help with this. And there's all kinds of folks who can give you advice. You know, I'm you know, I I can help in a certain extent, but this is not rocket science, but most people think it's just a lot easier to think about the newsletter. And that's, that's kind of where the two of them connect up together. Surely, surely we got to find a way to deal with the not yet. And the newsletter, especially canned newsletters that you just buy from a service, don't do that. Yeah. Fun game or, or, or do you, did, are you, uh, your thoughts on this? No, I, uh, <laughs> I definitely agree. It reminded me of a, uh, uh, a story that uh, it just fits right in that happened a long time ago when I was in college and there was a young lady I got to know and it was pretty obvious that we liked each other and this went on for weeks where we were in situations that we would uh, kind of a, a work 
type situation where we would regularly see each other. And so there was, uh, I think like a concert or something coming up, but I knew she liked that type of music. And so I'm all set up with, Hey, I can get tickets for whatever it is. You know, how about if we go? And she says, Oh no, not really. And needless to say, I'm devastated, but now it's like, I've got to keep seeing her at least thought that, well, there's no chance she's going to go out with me if I like avoid her. So I kept at it. And I think she could tell I was a little bit, you know, standoffish for the next couple days. And so the next week she were talking and it's like going pretty well. And she says, Oh, there's such and such coming up. How about if we go? And I said, Oh, I thought you weren't interested in going out with me. <laughs> and she said, no, I just didn't want to go to that concert. So, <laughs> lesson learned. But I thought of that, which I hadn't in years, based on what you were talking about. So it's no, don't, don't, sometimes don't it me. takes, you know, hanging yeah. in there and having the right thing that will change their mind. So that just fits right in with your story. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I don't even want to ask whether she you, you eventually married the young lady or not. But, uh, but Well, we actually went for three years straight and broke off just due to circumstances yeah. surrounding the relationship. So, yes, I consider that uh, so, a huge So success. could you imagine, can you imagine after that first, if you didn't just be standoffish, but you said, no, this isn't a prospect for me. I'm just moving on. Exactly. And that's why right? I, That's what made me think of that. So back then, okay, it was happenstance or circumstance that you actually spent, were in the same courses, the same groups or whatever. But if we think about our prospects, our clients, our referral sources today, right? No one has, no one cares about us. They, they don't care about you, but they only care about how you can solve their problem. So if we sort of look at all of these prospects, everybody out there, needs to do some real estate transactions or know somebody who needs to do them sometime soon. If we always said, well, you know, there's nothing here because I had that conversation. They just moved into their house. Okay. But you have no idea if the process of the transaction was unpleasant. Okay. Maybe the referral that they're going to get, uh, give, I should say, maybe it should be to you rather than somebody else. But the idea of building that relationship over time Okay, and realizing that almost everybody is a not yet, so long as you know that they have a particular need, you know, and that's 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 just so 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 powerful, you know. Here's something else: the biggest issues with respect to um, 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 uh, marketing thinking. If you if you ask many consultants, it's well, you know, we're going to use uh, uh, the four P framework. Price, product, place, and promo. And if we get those four things right, we're going to have a good marketing plan. This is also, you know, our grandmother's thinking. It's, you know, frameworks are amazing. But where's the prospect in that? Where's the timeline? How does it deal with issues of trust and growing a relationship? Uh, another model, um, you know, price expertise trust is one we talked about already. Another one that we use, uh, we've written about extensively, is the trust curve. It essentially says no one's going to sign the contract until they go through four stages, awareness, preference, trial, commitment. And if you think about your um, agencies or your groups, um, your business's marketing plan, 
It's really the question of saying, what are you doing to generate awareness? What are you doing to um, improve preference? What are you doing to induce trial? And what are you doing to, to, to make them sign up on, on, on uh, commitment? And, and most of them, most people say, well, I'm not getting stuff in at the top of the funnel. Well, that likely means bad awareness, bad preference. Other people say, well, leads come in, but I, I lose them. Okay, well, that probably means the systems that you need to sort of manage this, like a CRM and marketing automation and email, all that kind of thing, aren't in place. Sometimes people say, well, I get them. But you know what? They always, at the last minute, go to a different agent, right? Which is usually a trust or commitment issue. And so if you think about, you know, this trust curve and people moving up it over time, every time you have that interaction, every touch point, I, as I said before, you're either moving up the trust curve or you're moving down the trust curve. And every marketing plan is just a question of the initiatives under each of the four. And so, you know, if you think about what's going right about your agency, Every lead that comes in, we close. That means you've got trial commitment really, really, really well. Do we, we meet people, but for whatever reason, they're not interested in having deeper conversations. Well, there's a preference issue. Guess where you have to look? And I think this kind of thinking is very, very different because you're driving towards contract signature. You're not, cons- there's no Facebook strategy. There's no email strategy. It's a question of, what are you specifically doing to move people to, to contract signature? So that's something that I don't hear so much about uh, what, when, when I look at people's marketing plans, when I look at people's uh, uh, biz dev plans and everything, but I think it's critically important. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the, other, or the other topic that I want to touch on uh, during this time we have, and again, appreciate your being with us, is... Um, when you're, uh, you mentioned, I know in your background, it is a lot of advising. You could use the term coaching, helping out. So, uh, agents and brokers and investors are often in a situation where maybe you're presenting two properties for consideration. You can tell the property is leaning toward the one, but that one, maybe, you know, the price is too high or there's some type of a contingency or something that either adds difficulty or is maybe even a red flag to you. So what strategy might you have when in that situation, which is different from what we've been talking about, now you've got the, you know, the client or potential client engaged, but how do you say, well, no, you should do it this way without telling them, in those words, no, you should do it this way. What are some things that our audience can think about when they run up against the situation where it's important they explain a potential negative to a potential client? So, you know, I, I'm I'm not an expert in the real estate industry. I'm an expert in helping companies scale. Okay. And, and so I'm sure there's plenty of other people listening to this saying, okay, well, I would do this and this and this and this and this. So, so I won't give those specifics, but I'll give some some advice that I, I think will resonate. And and that's this: sometimes people make decisions based very much on emotion, and if they had more data points, they'd be able to make a better emotional decision. Sometimes, when there's obstacles, uh, you know, this deal's not as good, or this 
this maybe might not close or maybe there's less flexibility or whatever it happens to be. Um, you can always help people by having them stand in the shoes of the counterparty. You know, if you were selling your house and an offer came in this way, if you were buying, how do you think the other party would react? Let's just game it out a little bit. And that's sometimes more powerful than saying, hey, I've got the expertise. You know, this is what you should do, etc. Now, part two of this is to recognize that some clients are relying on that expertise and they do need to be told. It's their decision, but they actually are relying and frankly paying for your expertise. And so for you to be able to say, well, listen, if you want to buy this house, you have to pay this because it's competitive, etc. Okay. Or, gee, it's going to be a competitive situation. The price is going to go through the roof. Okay, there's plenty of others on the street just behind or in the building just behind. Okay, if you don't get this one, the world's not going to end. Let's not get sucked into the emotion of the moment. Okay, and this is the top you really should spend, right? So so there's a class of client that really does require your expertise, and you should be a little bit more directive because if not, you're not doing the job that that particular client wants you to do. Others, they need to be led along. They need to be able to make the um, uh, connect the dots on their own term. Because it's not that they don't trust you. It's just that this is probably one of the biggest transactions of their life, and they just want to have a certain degree of certainty. And and uh, you know that's why you might show people competitive listings or histories or any of the other things that you might do uh, at the very beginning part. So so that's how I would answer that uh, question, Dave. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's uh, some very good advice as well on that. Uh, before we finish up, I do want to ask, because I know I've been talking about how you work with, you know, larger financial institutions and large-scale businesses. A lot of our audience are kind of in business for themselves or part of a small office. So uh, how might they engage in your services? What have you got to offer for them? Uh, thank you very much. Well, certainly, if you go to randallcraig.com, you know, there's some 600 articles on marketing and strategy that you can get. There's no cost to that. There's a whole bunch of white papers. Once again, no cost to that, including some stuff on the trust curve that we talked about. But um, the other thing that I do, yes, I, I do serve some larger organizations, uh, but I also work with entrepreneurial ones as well. And I've got clients across the United States and Europe and some in Canada. Uh, where I'm, I'm helping them figure out how to scale their business. You know, people don't know what they don't know. And for anybody who's listening and who's interested, uh, I'd be happy to have a, a, a conversation. I call it an Ask Me Anything session. And if you just go to randallcraignet slash 60, I'd be happy to give you an hour of my time. It gives me a chance to learn about a different business. I learn a ton. But you can ask me any and every question that you want on scaling a business or figuring out your business problems. And if it works out, if, if it's a good session, uh, at the very end, I'll just take a minute or two and I'll ask you, hey, do you want to do this again? We move the needle. And if the answer to that is yes, we can we can have a conversation. But I love learning about businesses. Uh, RandallCraig.net slash 60. We'll get to uh, uh, an hour on my calendar and ask away. Okay, sounds great. All right, Randall, I do appreciate your being with us. 
um you know maybe we'll kind of revisit and update this uh in a few months in the spring something like that because this has been very helpful we'll let our audience digest it so again i thank you very much for your input that's uh randall craig and we do have the the information i know he gave the website and everything but we will have it in the link for the uh, podcast so again thanks very much for being with us thank you dave